kid. How you doing, Coulter? I'm good. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful. Getting uh, last-minute things taken care of before we're headed off to our next tournament in uh, your neck of the woods. Be prepared. It's going to be hot. We've been preparing. We've been doing a, a lot of work. That I'm, I'm, I'm sure you must have seen several of my tweets talking about hydration and that Longhorn hydration chart. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I have another video I found on, on TikTok, even though now I'm shell-shocked from posting shell t- uh, TikTok videos after yesterday. <laughs> but this softball coach put a great video, sh- like showing in a carafe, like how much water you actually lose per hour. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, yeah. And so I'm, I'm definitely going to be posting that one. But yeah, yeah, we're, we start hydration already. It's been hours and work on it just to make sure we don't overheat. Yeah. It, <laughs> the preparation to fight and stave off dehydration, I mean, it's three to four days ahead of time, like making sure like you're taking the right amount of stuff in your body, the right amount of sodium, all that kind of stuff, making sure you're not putting junk in your body that will inherently dehydrate you as you go. And it's not just taking a sip of water. It's not just drinking a Gatorade in the game. Like you need to drink a substantial amount every time you come in. That way your body has something to to work with when you go back out in the field, especially as the pitcher, like you're continuously exhausting energy and your body's sucking up all that moisture to send it to your, to the muscles. You got to replenish it. You can't just sit there. It's not about cooling off in the shade. It's about getting the body rejuvenated. Two, two things I want to touch on what you just said. So number one, Sammy wears his whoop the day he pitches and he, he wears it all the time. And so last, last week when we were in uh, use in the previous week, we had a double header. We were out on the field for six hours and he had a 20.4 out of a 21 day strain. And he only pitched 70 pitches first, first game. But just standing around all those hours in the heat, it just drains you, drains you, drains you. Oh, yeah. We can, we can get into the uh, argument about the validity or the value of like summer, like travel baseball and versus all that other stuff. But I mean, one of the things I was going to say is you, you're not accounting for the fact that a team is playing just two games a day, especially down here when you're dealing with the heat, you've got guys playing on turf, like all that kind of stuff. If you're playing two games anywhere between nine o'clock in the morning and seven o'clock at night, if you've got that strain, like, and you show up to the field, you're supposed to be there, let's say an hour before your game, that team that's on the field runs a little bit late. Turns out you've actually been there for an hour, 30, hour 45 before your game, what you've been doing, sitting around, standing around, whatever it may be. And then whatever you're doing during the course of your day between games, it takes a massive toll on your body. Yeah, and, and, and more than that, and this, that was the second point I wanted to, to touch on, was that when muscles are dehydrated, they're most likely for injury. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, <laughs> like, go find a dehydrate, go dehydrate a bag of rubber bands and see how long they last. Perfect analogy. Perfect analogy. Okay, let's, uh, let's just uh, jump in here. I may also invite... Corey to come in a little bit so people have hitting questions. Corey can answer some of the hitting questions. You're here for some of the, you definitely for the pitching questions and some of the recruiting questions. And we had some really good ones that, that already came in where 
we asked somebody about, someone asked about their 15 year old and, and summer ball. What do you think about it? Do you recommend incoming freshmen, especially POs play summer ball? So I, I was curious about the question. Like we're talking about incoming freshmen going into college or incoming freshmen going into high school. Cause that, that what you, you said 15 or something like that. I I'm, I'm guessing we're talking about going into, into college. I think we should, I, I think we might as well address both, right? Okay. New environments for both of them. Yeah. As for the incoming freshman going into college, I'm, I'm split on that. Inevitably, yeah, you want to come in as prepared as possible, but it's, it's not so much, it's not so much like having more game reps is going to make you uh, more prepared. You're going to get a substantial amount of game reps as the fall goes, because that's what you're doing. You're like the, the amount of workload that players get in college from high school to college in that first year. It's a shock to the system. And a lot of them struggle to handle that adequately, especially with the amount of li uh, lifting you're doing, the toll that your social life and your academic life are taking, as well as just it's five days, six days a week, rather than, oh, I go to practice one or two days a week or or whatever your travel ball summer schedule may be like you're, you're literally going five or six days a week and three or four hours uh, at a time, depending on what, where you are in your schedule. So there's a lot to that. So I recommend a lot of guys get in and if you need to go get outings, if you want to stay sharp, yeah, go jump into a couple of like random tournaments, or if you want to go help out a team play, call it three or four times during the summer. Great. But it's, really important for guys to focus on getting their body in shape, making sure they just stay throwing. They're not like, there's nothing worse than coming in as a freshman and not being able to train and play in the fall because that's the evaluation time. So making sure that you come in prepared and ready to go. Um, I've always been an advocate and I, I'd say so still of getting on campus during the course of your summer. So maybe not playing and focusing on getting in with your strength and conditioning guy, getting a, a throwing program that is designed to have you where you need to be when fall ball starts, whatever that might, uh, whatever time frame that might be according to the plans of, of your coaching staff. But it's, and it, it also depends on what you did during the course of your high school season. If your team didn't make it to the playoffs, you're probably about three or four, maybe five weeks less of playing than maybe some of the other guys. So maybe getting a few more reps is, is beneficial, but I'd say you also are coming in to the last four years, potentially of being quote unquote, a kid. And that summer between senior year of high school and freshman year of college, that's your last little bit of freedom that you would have to go on like a family vacation or something like that. Because after that, you're, if you're dedicated to playing the game and advancing, you're going to be going off and, and playing summer league somewhere for a college program. You're not going to be going home and going on vacation. It, it's a business at that point, and you need to be investing in yourself. The free time is not going to be there. I, and, I think, and I think that does a, gr a great job at answering the question uh, about what, what should you do when you're coming into a new program. Yeah. Yeah. You need to ask questions. That's, don't, there's no, nothing ever good came from making an assumption when you're going to a program, they have expectations of what they're going to want you to be doing when they're going to be wanting, uh, wanting you to do it. And so making sure that 
you're in communication with your coaches and asking the right questions and getting a very clear understanding of what is supposed to happen, that's critical. We're going to open this up for questions and anything related to, to, to baseball, recruiting, pitching. We've got Corey joins us as well to talk about hitting. But, but I want to I touch on another question that uh, Barton Smith put out with the expert on seam shifted weight. But I thought it was a very interesting question. And, and again, th this all ties together. So he's heard many say that high school pitchers should play catch every day. We know Alan Yeager loves talking about throwing every day. and a big fan of it as well. For a few of those days, it's like catch, right? So there's a low intensity day, usually a medium intensity and a high intensity day. Mm -hmm. If you're doing that, clearly your warm-up should not include plyos every day. That's what he's asking. Should, like, should it not? Should it include like, drills like pivot pickoffs and, and reverse throws and stuff like that? And if so, at what intent? How did you approach that? So I think that the, I think the plyos are like, I think the plyos as an extension of what you're doing to prepare the body on a daily basis to prepare it for any kind of activity. Because what that is, it's an overweight, primarily there, there are some underweight activities to it, but the overweight essence of, of the plyos and the movements you're doing, they're all about patterning and programming to help keep the body in rhythm over the course of time and kind of prime the muscles and the decelerators and all that. So you can go heavier in your intent or you can back off a little bit, but making sure that you're going through those as a, as a piece of your routine. I was in favor of guys doing that every day that they were going to pick something up to throw. If you did, if you're like, let's say your competition day or your high intent days, you're doing 10 reps of exercises. If it's a low intensity day and it's just like a recovery or a light throw and you want to do five to eight just to go through the movements and just get it feeling, you don't always have to do the same. It's, it's learning your body, learning what your body and your arm need. And essentially it goes to the, the concept that you're not throwing, like you're not throwing as a, just a getting, getting done with the day you're throwing for a purpose. So. If you know that your throwing work for the day is going to be a high intensity long, long toss and some pull downs and whatnot, you're going to prepare your arm accordingly. If you're just going out there to do a little bit of touch and feel at 90 feet and maybe some spin work, maybe you're, you're backing off the intent and you don't want to, don't want to tell your body to go full force. So maybe, yeah, you, you taper down the workload with the plyo. So I think I really do believe it's you understanding and knowing your body and knowing what it needs and feeling out your own routine. I've heard exactly the same thing. And, and, and again, I watch Sammy when he warms up and it's really depending on how his arm is feeling, like the, how, you know, how intense it's going to go. Corey, I'd, I'd love to, to, to get you to chime in on this because I think it's not exactly the same for hitters. When you're watching, especially like that in your summer league, maybe you had a late game, do guys take different routines because their body's a little more tired or they have a different intent day. Yeah, no, 100%. The biggest thing a lot of guys after they throw, every single one of them believes they need to get the ball in their hand and start some kind of throwing in. It may not be full intent as a, a typical day or even days prior to throwing, but they definitely, every guy definitely has some kind of routine that makes sure they get a ball in their hand. They avoid plyos and stuff like that. They do just a a band warm up to make sure that everything's kind of loose and flowing and then go straight into it. And that's the biggest thing that I've seen for the pitcher side of it. 
in the college summer league up here, Grand Park, and then hitter wise and stuff, guys, guys were really short the throwing down on you know after like our center fielder or left fielder, some of those guys that had a little bit higher throwing day were kind of sore and tender right at the beginning of summer ball cut it down as well uh they just did you know like i said a quick band uh, just getting out to about 90 feet 100 feet just get a toss awesome coulter we have another question and having also javi in the room and i know you also tested this with using the kinetic arm it's what, what got me to to invest in you know kinetic arm for sammy rusty kellum asked how do you address the odd soreness like in the bicep or tricep that some throwers experience and, and i'm wondering based on some of the data you might've seen in the lab, how you might've used the kinetic arm or other things to handle that soreness. So soreness is, it's, uh, you've got a double-edged sword that you're looking at. Like you want to address it because obviously no one likes being sore, but you also have to look at it and ask what the soreness is telling you. If you're throwing or if you're making adjustments to an, uh, to an arm or the way that an arm path is going or like adding a new pitch, if there's certain soreness, you're looking for feedback. Is this something that is, it's new and it's okay. And we just have to develop, we have to develop that pathway and that the muscles will adjust to it. Or is it your body telling you, Hey, this is not a good idea. This is not something that like is normal for, or is even healthy for what I'm trying to do. Like you, you have to listen to the body and, and figure it out from there. But that's where it's not so clear. Like even in the data you pull from kinematic sequences or like from mocap or whatever it's really coming down to what the athletes doing and having them describe in better detail what they're actually feeling and having everyone on the same page from not only the pitching coach but your athletic trainer and your strength and conditioning guy making sure everyone's on the same page of hey this is why this is happening or hey this is what we've been doing so expect to see something in this area there's all kinds of there's all kinds of factors going into why there might be that odd soreness. I believe that if you're doing everything perfectly, you still have the opportunity to, to be sore. There's no such thing as the perfect throwing mechanics that you're never sore. If you're throwing, if you're throwing 90 plus, those muscles are, are taking a beating for a certain duration of time, they're going to be sore. Maybe they're more sore sometimes than others. Maybe because you figured something out or maybe you weren't doing something in your delivery that just maybe tweaked it a little bit, but you don't want to rush to judgment on that. Um, I, like the kinetic arm I thought was a great tool because it, it helped reinforce a, what proper kinematic positioning should be. And it, it, it basically provided an exoskeleton for a slingshot mechanism for the arm telling you, you don't have to be uh, using your arm to generate speed. The body will help sling the arm through in the proper place. And that helps eliminate a lot of issues, especially in the bicep and tricep. But even though technically the packaging says you can wear it in games, guys aren't going to do that. Being reliant on that kind of piece to tell you whether or not you're doing it right or not may or may not always work. So it's really always a, a conversation with the, the pitcher and understanding what's happening at any given time. Yeah, great question. I, I, I... Sammy, Sammy started using it as he was ramping up his volume and that for him, it was a big thing mm -hmm. that, to help him just feel more comfortable knowing that he was taking on more and more load. But one of the things that fascinated me, you and, you and I talked about a little bit was like some of the things that you were doing 
pre and post games in the lab, trying to understand what was going on with pitchers, what was going on with fatigue. What was some of the most interesting things that, that you, you know, may have thought were, were, were actually happening, but like surprised you when you saw them in the lab. And obviously it needs to be stated that when, while I was ice, the time that we had the, uh, the lab, we, we got it in season. Like we got it at the very beginning of the season. So we got to tinker a little bit towards the beginning, but we didn't get to use it in the way that we would have say in the fall when we had more time and we weren't worried about competitive stuff. But a couple of the things that I noticed were like, but we had a guy, an older guy. So he, he, he knew himself pretty well. We had him go in and throw three max intent fastballs before and after a 75 pitch outing. And the thing that we started to see was there was not a glaring discrepancy between the pre and the post throwing. You could start to see where there might be a little less ground force engagement, or there might be a little like longer decel pattern because they're not rotating as fast and they're trying to reach for some stuff. It was all very like the, the manipulations in the data were very small. So that's where I think one of the most dangerous things that a, a coach can do is in a game, go in and tell somebody, Hey, you need to use your legs more. Like he was using his legs just as much in the beginning as he was in the end, granted with the amount of energy he had, but telling someone to start compensating for fatigue is very dangerous. And that was what the data showed me was like, you got to let a guy go and compete and how his body chooses to interpret the level of energy that he has at that moment. You got to let it go with that because when you start telling him, hey, do this to get more, what you're doing is you're asking him to create tension in certain times and frames that he normally wouldn't do. And that's going to lead to more injury opportunities or less sequencing, which is going to affect his ability to command. So that was the main thing that I picked up. And then even looking at how guys, like how their kinematic sequence and how their movements all either changed and fluctuated from the beginning to the end of the season. It's all very small adjustments or like just small tweaks in the numbers because they stayed the same for the most part, unless we were purposefully over the course of the time of the season, working on something, trying to change a certain part of the body. That was the big thing that I found from the lab was you would expect to see bigger changes and there really aren't. It's really microscopic. Obviously, you have a long history working on the private side as well, and, and, and with you know high school guys and younger. Do you, do you think those college guys are a little more locked in, so you're seeing less variation than maybe some of the high school or younger pitchers would have? I wouldn't necessarily say so. I saw some guys that had a lot of variation, even though they were 20, 21 years old. What it really comes to what it comes to is the high school guys, you've got some elite high school guys that are going to be able to do things that your more mature or your veteran college guys are going to be able to do. But those guys are few and far between. What you're looking at is a lot of high school kids just aren't strong enough to really be in control of their body. So their ability to quote unquote, repeat a delivery or make adjustments and feel things 
it's just not going to be there because they're not strong enough and they're not in control of their body. But the education part is so critical to be able to help them understand why certain things aren't in position and how to cue themselves to get there. But really, it's just a matter of getting them to be in control of their body. And that comes with maturity and strength. Awesome. We've got a question, and I think this one's going to be really interesting for a number of different reasons. So here's the question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it straight to you. I am heading into my second year of JUCO as a pitcher, so talking about someone who's probably going to be in the transfer portal, and had a great season of summer bowl heading into college and had a good freshman year. However, this summer, he's working through some mechanical changes to increase velocity and throw in a summer league once a week, and he's been struggling. What would you do recruiting-wise? Should I pause the recruiting process until better results come? Uh, so I guess, A, if there was a lot, if there was success, especially in the year or two beforehand, I know the, the fascination with or the need for more velocity, but my question is why would there be like, if, if you're making significant overhauls in your delivery to change or in the hopes of advancing your velocity, at a certain point, you got to come down to, hey, this is who I am. If I want to be the best competitor that I can be, it's not going to be the velocity that's going to that's going to really essentially beat someone at that point. It's, am I a master of my craft? Am I somebody that can go in and do a job, throw strikes and get outs with consistency? Because when you start trying to be the guy that rather than being, rather than being, let's say 87, 89, that can do a job with three pitches. If you're trying to be next year, 92, 93, and you lose your feel for your craft, you're probably hurting yourself more often because you're going to, you're going to always fall back to what's going to give you the opportunity to be competitive. There are going to be some schools that are going to give you an opportunity. If you are that 92, 93, don't get me wrong. That's going to happen. But when you get there, it's also going to be congratulations. You can throw really hard in this area, but if you don't have command of your stuff and you can't get outs reliably, it's going to be really hard to get you on the field. And heck, in the recruiting process, it may be hard to be recruited because you're not su substantially getting outs or your stuff has degraded because it's going to flatten out as you're trying to put more effort behind the pitches. So it's a, man, that's a, that's a hard line to walk. It really comes down to what is really going to benefit you the most. And from a personal standpoint, I can't be the one to tell you that. But from a recruiting standpoint, I can tell you, I would prefer guys that can get outs at that point. There are guys out there that throw really hard and I'm going to recruit them because, or I would recruit them because I can funnel a little bit of that skill, but I'm also going to be looking for guys that have the ability to get outs and be reliable. Yeah. Cause I, I know college coaches need to win. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very well aware of that. Javi, you have something to add to that for him? Now, to be honest with you, everything that Colton just said right there, I'm 100% in agreement with, because at the end of the day, you have velocity. Yeah, it will sell. Velocity matters. Velocity is king. However, pitching is God. So if you don't know how to pitch, what's velocity going to do to you? Absolutely nothing. So it's just going to make you a little more attractive. Now, if they go in there, if this young man's throwing 88, 88, 89, 89, 88 to 90, and can spot up and do his thing there and actually show that he can pitch and compete against high-level competitors, then when he goes and gets recruited to a better program, to a four-year school, now he can go in there and focus on that velocity 
because he's already going to have the touch and feel of a pitcher. To me, I'm 100% behind Cole. It's pitching is going to be king. That's going to be the key. You don't change anything what you're doing just to try to get the velocity because if you try to get the velocity right now and your pitching suffers, you might be missing out. I'll say this too. I watched a left-handed pitcher and actually I saw another right-hander too during the course of the season. He was a Friday night guy for a good Division I program, a good mid-major. He carried a low three ERA throughout the entirety of the season. The guy never, he never reached back and hit anything higher than 87. I sat there and I looked at it, his track man report. His pitch package was at best average. There was nothing that stood out. There was nothing crazy about his release or anything like that. The dude was just a bulldog on the mound. He threw every pitch that he had with confidence and conviction. He went right after you. He was the one that carried the tempo. And if he wanted that fastball inside, he put it inside. If he wanted to chase it off the plate, he got it off the plate. He was the dictator on that mound of what was happening in the game. And he beat a lot of good hitters because of that. Like he didn't need to be 95. That was not essential to his success. Is it, is it his dream to play major league baseball? It might be. I don't think he'll get that opportunity just because it's probably not in the cards for him, but he's going to be a damn good college pitcher. And he's going to get a lot of innings and have a lot of opportunities because of that skill set. No one's sitting there wondering, hey, why aren't you throwing harder? He's winning, period. Love it. Um, 100%. We got, we got a recruited question here for you guys. What is the best age to start contacting college and university coaches? There is no age. You will either be ready or you're not. I think the game will tell you if you're ready or not. When you start trying to, reach out and say, hey, coach, I'm 14 years old, go 72 miles an hour, okay, that you're not selling yourself, you're not benefiting yourself. If you're a senior and you're coming into your own and you're like, hey, coach, I, this is, I, I'm 85, 88, here are my stats for the last couple of years, you can see my level of success, I really want to be a part of your pro like, I'll look into that a little bit more and be like, all right, this guy knows who he is, we have enough track record on him. There's definitely something to this, but when you're, when it's too early and you, you don't have anything to market and to sell, cause that's really what it is. You're marketing yourself as how you can be a benefit. There are some big programs out there that can take a risk and recruit a, this year it would have been 26s next year it'll be 27s, but they can recruit that really young kid because they can see some stuff about him competitively they can see that he's going to be big he's got some either really good genetics he's on the top national team whatever it may be they can take that risk and if that kid commits congratulations it was absolutely nothing until he actually signs going into his senior year but if you're if you don't have something worthwhile marketing don't market it all you're doing is watering down your stock for the time that you do need to get in front of somebody you are going to land where you are you're destined to land not where you send the most email. So question for you, because if I'm a younger student athlete, let's, let's talk freshman in high school and, and I have some interest in some schools and stuff like that. I know we have our friends here from playing sports. Would you suggest they, instead of maybe even emailing the coach cold, maybe it might make sense if, if they've got some tools and again, they're young to go to one of the camps. Yeah. Go to the camp, meet the coaches, 
get face-to-face, build a relationship. I watched a kid a couple of years ago who was not, he was not ready. He was just really young. He went to, and I'm not going to mention the name of the school, but he went to their camp when he was, I think, 15. And he got to meet them. They were face-to-face. He went the next year as well. The coaches remembered him. They remembered him by name, shook their hands. He was like asking all the right questions. And then all of a sudden in the middle of his junior year, or not in the middle of it, but going into the spring of his junior year, he had a growth spurt. He got stronger. His stuff started playing up. And all of a sudden, because he had that relationship, he was able to like, he had one of his coaches reach out and they're like, oh yeah, no, we definitely remember him. Wow. He made some great adjustments. The kid was committed like two weeks later. And because it wasn't cold, they had a relationship with him. They, they knew who he was. They were able to track it. Like there, there's a lot of benefit to that. It's not just what you've got. It's, it's a matter of the relationship too, because we can go into that a little bit more, but understanding what you're, who you're getting into bed with when you're committing to a school is incredibly important. And also understanding the bit, like knowing the program a little bit more, like there's a lot to that. To- totally love that. And, and, uh, it's exactly what I've heard from, again, so many coaches and so many friends of mine who are, who are going through that and who have gone to some of the camps and look, the whole game is about the relationships at the end of the day. And I think a lot of people mistake it's well, the relationships and winning games, <laughs> those are the two key things. We're open to getting more questions. If you have any more, please feel free to, uh, direct message us. We're open to anything, pitching, recruiting. Maybe Coulter would even take a look at some video of, of some pictures if you want to share some of that. T- totally open to all of it. But here's a, another quick question, and we'll throw this out to, to all the college coaches out there who want to share. Like, okay, kid shows up to camp, or he gets an instruction through email or social media. What are the like the top aspects that you're looking for in that student athlete? So I'm I'm going to need you to rephrase that question. So. Are, are you saying that the coach receives the email or you're saying that the, there's just open communication? It, in some way, you've, you've already engaged with him. Either the kid's been at a camp or he's emailed you or he's contacted you through social media. What, what are the, you know, the few things that, that you really look for that, you know, will be like, oh, this, this kid's interesting. I'll, I'll keep an eye on him. One of the things I, I look for is, are you being personable because, or are you being individualistically personable? Are you addressing that coach because you've done your research and you know who you're talking to, or are you sending out like just generalities? Like I've got, I got a number of emails and and whatnot from, from guys that speak in like severe generalities about wanting to be recruited and going to a school. Like, and nothing about that makes me think this kid knows what I'm doing, what the program was about or anything like that. They're just sending out, just trying to see how many people bite. But once you've built a relationship with somebody, seeing how engaged, how much that is willing to engage you is really important. I don't, I never wanted to be the guy that was constantly pursuing a kid because you want somebody who, all right, let me throw, let me change the way I'm going to say this. A college coach doesn't want to have to chase somebody that doesn't want to come to their school. If you have to convince somebody to come to your school, they're probably not going to be happy. And in today's game of the transfer portal and the NIL and all that kind of stuff that's available to draw somebody away, if they don't want to be there and you trick them into coming, they're probably not going to stay. 
you're also probably not going to get the most out of that player at the time that he is with you. So somebody that is showing that they really want to play for you and want to play for your program, they understand what the ins and outs of the program are, or they're asking all the right questions and building that relationship. That's critical because you just don't want to go down the road to find out that you were the last option that somebody had. I guess I'll go there or you got tricked into doing it and you you just don't want that kind of relationship. That That's terrific. You, you touched on the transfer portal and, and I'm hearing it from players, especially the 22s and 23s, more of the 23s at this point than obviously a lot of 22s are already committed, but they're, they're worried about you know, there's what, like 2,500 kids in the transfer portal right now and you know how are they going to be taking up their spots and if there are going to be spots for them. Can, can we talk a little bit about what that transfer portal looks like and, and the, the good and bad of it? Yeah. So I would say that the portal for itself is really, it's really good because it allows you to rectify some of your mistakes. And that's on both sides of the equation. From a coaching perspective, some, sometimes players just don't pan out. That is the unfortunate reality. And you're un, like, like anyone has ever said, like college baseball is a business. And unfortunately, if someone is not a fit anymore or they don't, you're just not meshing or they're not able to perform at that level, you're not doing them any favors by keeping them on roster. They're not doing you any favors by taking up a roster spot. So having the ability to transfer without penalty one time, that's actually a really good thing for both parties. It does become a disaster because now you're starting to talk about the portal for itself. Like. Basically, what I just said is, is a good thing on that area. It also gives guys, like, if you're a Division II player that really blossomed and you want to try and pursue that Division I opportunity to get more exposure or whatever it may be, you're not going to be penalized for moving up. That's a great aspect of the transfer portal. But with the introduction of the NIL and how sneaky and shady some of that stuff can be, now all of a sudden you've got hey, I'm the best player at this team at a, at a mid-major or a, even a, a power five, but this other school is a bigger name. They have opportunities to go to Omaha or this, like through the grapevine somehow or another, I found out that they're paying their players $10,000 a year minimum before any other like individual deals. Hell, I'd love to, I'd love to get paid an extra like $10,000 for just being on a team. Boom, all of a sudden a guy's going to transfer. I don't have the ins and outs on everything, but I can tell you right now, I, I feel really bad for North Carolina State and that the kid, Tommy Tanks, phenomenal freshman, all of a sudden he's gone. Like the kid, he was going to be a superstar no matter where he goes, but I have a feeling he's probably going to get paid pretty well wherever, wherever else he goes. And that's not an indictment on him, but that's just the system. The system is turning to the kids have the power and if you really boiled it down to, is this a good quality decision for what you're doing? I don't really think it is because inevitably you're going to get, if you're that good, you're going to get drafted. And when you go to the minors, that NIL deal is not going to be there unless you were a first round draft pick. You're going to be at the bottom of the barrel, just like everyone else. You're going to be scrounging by on $1,100, $1,200 a month. And 
you're back to it. So trying to go and chase the the money and the lavish life and the, the prestige in college and then whatnot, you're not doing yourself any favors. And a lot of these kids aren't prepared for what to do with that kind of money at the time. However, backing off on that, you're also giving guys an opportunity to go and really be showcased for who they are as opposed to being hidden and manipulated by the system. I, I think there's there's always two sides to every story. We're going to go for a few more minutes. If anybody has any questions, please feel free to DM one of us. But I, I, I want to ask you a question um, that, that popped up. So let's imagine you're a kid on a high school team, a summer team, and maybe the team isn't playing that well. You're really trying to get recruited and get a, co a coach's attention. Should they be completely worried that the team is not necessarily performing well? And what should they do to make sure they stand out to uh, any college coaches that are in the stands? Hustle your ass off everywhere you go. Uh, don't be a sideshow. Don't be asking for mom and dad to go and get you a drink or get you food during the game. Don't give any reason why someone should walk away from you in the first place. Always be on. You don't have to. You don't have to be a winning team to be a recruitable player. That's you're you're not paying. You're not like a coach is not recruiting that entire team. They're going and looking for individuals. Now, if you're a if you're a terrible teammate on a losing team, you're probably not going to get recruited. But if you go out there and you bust your ass every single play or you're out there competing every single pitch and your stuff is good, someone's going to see you and it's going to happen. There's everything with social media, word of mouth between coaches, relationships that other people have. You will be found and, you, and people will be able to get an opportunity to see you. Or at worst, someone's going to have a really good recommendation for you. You go to a camp when you're not with your team and that coach says, yeah, hey, everything matches up with what I was told, and you get an offer from there. So the team is not going to dictate your career trajectory. Javi, you wanted to add something? I completely agree that when I go to watch a team, I'm there to watch a player, not the whole team. And kids shouldn't be concerned about my team is uh, 1 in 50, but what, how can people going to see me if my team is doing this? Number one, that's not your team. Number two, that's just the team you're playing for. Number three, if I like what I see in movements, I'm going to come get you. I want to come see you. A good friend of mine who is a uh, coach, he's a head coach here at Ball State University, he told me a story a while back ago that he, he went out recruiting out east to a tournament out in Connecticut, and the team was really bad. But there was one kid that played center field that hustled in, and hustled out. He actually beat the third baseman into the dugout and was always the first one out of the game, out to his position. He hustled, and if he walked, he hustled down to first base. He had always had a good attitude, and guess what? There was a couple of kids on that team that could have, that were Division One talent. He went back and got that kid who actually hustled and hustled out because he knows that he doesn't have to worry about telling that young man, hey, you got to do what you got to do to help your team out. And if it's hustling in, hustling out, that's what you got to do. And that young man actually played four years at the University of Michigan. Doing those little things, hustling, you can control all those things there. You can't control what your team does, but you can't control what you yourself do. And, and you can't coach hustle. Either kids have it and they have that, that sense of competing and always wanting to perform, or they don't. Exactly. Gentlemen, any final words um, of wisdom to share tonight to close out our Twitter space about where you see baseball today, we can obviously talk about my, my crazy post that I shared. Go down that road for a minute. I, I thought that was really intriguing. And I've, 
I've got some thoughts on it, but yeah, that'd be fun to go down that road. No, I was on TikTok like many people do. And I, I found this one coach who commented about high school baseball and he put as his attention grabbing headline, high school baseball sucks. But as you listen to the video, he starts talking about it. He says he sees too many JV and freshman teams where they don't get access to a field. They don't get access to coaches necessarily who know and teach the game. And of course, like I got feedback in both directions and, and even from high school coaches. Yeah. Parents need to do their homework and all that. And then from people who were saying, who, who shared some of the horror stories that, that their kids are going through where kids are having to hit the fungo because the coach doesn't even know how, what a fungo is or how to do it. What, what do you think in your impression of, especially on the, on the younger levels, how important that high school development is? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this in a different way. I come from, and for the long, for seven years, I was on the private side and I dealt with that. I had a very similar sentiment. I wasn't dumb enough to pull, like publicly voice it in certain areas like that gentleman was, but there, there was that sentiment. However, I, I realized, and it's, it makes a lot more sense now that a, you go to, you're going to a high school because that's where you live. You live in it. That's what you get, what you live, like where you, you live. Like you don't really have much of a choice. You don't really have much of a choice of who your high school coach is going to be. You don't have a choice of whether or not that guy ever played baseball or whatever. You can only hope that whoever your high school coach is cares about your kid, period. And that they're fair in the opportunities that they provide. I can see right now looking at in the group here that one of the guys listening is Josh Stone. And he's a friend of mine. We played together in college. He's a high school coach now. I can tell you right now that if if you're playing for him, he's educated. He knows what the, how to play baseball. He understands what's going on. He's investing in technology, trying to get kids, like give them an opportunity to see what the game is going to be. That's awesome. But not everyone has his playing experience. Not everyone has a school that has funding to get technology. Like th that's just not always going to be present. And quite honestly, and this is something that kids need to learn, you don't always get what you want and you're just going to have to deal with that. And you have to find a way to persevere. If you really want to play baseball and you really want to get better, you're going to find a way to go and do it. You're going to go and find a private coach that you can work with during your high school season. If you have a high school coach that is sitting there telling you, you're not allowed to go and work with a private coach. You can also go in and say, hey, this is my career. This is what I want to do. Or your parents can go in and do the same thing. And if that becomes a toxic thing, okay, then yeah, step away from the high school if that's what happens. But a good quality coach, I don't care what level they are, is going to say, hey, man, this is your career. So long as you're on the right page and you're not being disrespectful to what I'm doing and you're not being detrimental to the team because you are part of that high school team during that high school season. So long as you're not being a detriment and you're not being super selfish about it, then just allow it. Like that's what happens. But the thing that I would say to that point is if you're looking at it from your personal perspective as a private instructor or a select guy, yeah, you're going to think high school coaching and high school baseball in general suck, but there are rules. You're not going to have high, you're not going to have select tournaments for high school age kids during that time, kids need to be able to go out and get their reps, let them go do it. It's better to have a, a positive interaction 
with the high school and the high school coach because who knows? Maybe that guy will say, maybe that high school coach who might not be a good coach, but at least has an understanding and familiarity and a, a cordial relationship. If he sees a kid on his team who needs a place to go play, he'll be like, hey, man, I know a good club team or I know a good private coach. Go talk to him. Maybe you can work. It helps both sides, but primarily it helps the player. And if you're not in this game to help the athlete, get the hell out because there's no value for you, period. I keep hearing coaches say that, oh yeah, coaching is a service industry, but they're talking out of both sides of their mouth because they're worried about their image, their, like, their prestige, all the things that are going on with them. And they're not looking at how they're benefiting the kids. And that's exactly what it is. A high school, a high school coach is a teacher that is coaching and giving their time and a lot of their free time, they're not getting paid exceptionally for it. They're doing it because they love the game or they love the kids. And maybe sometimes they suck at coaching. That is what it is. I've seen coaches that suck at other levels. It is what it is. But like, it, it's all about whether or not you're doing things right by the kids. The other side of this, is, amen. The, the, the other side to this is, are you, are you degrading because they're, you've exhausted all your options? Or are you degrading something just because you're upset about how it's affecting you personally? If there is a really bad coach that is being toxic towards you and the way that you're working with your kids and that's causing problems, maybe there's a way to gripe there. But if, if you're just talking about how freshmen and sophomore are getting reps, I'm sorry, freshmen and sophomore don't get reps no matter where you are. There are colleges where freshmen and sophomore don't get reps. That's just life. And it's whether or not they have the resiliency and the des desire to, to do something on their own to earn the playing time. That's just going to happen. So I, I don't really have any sympathy on that side. I, I think that people just need to understand the environment, the train they're in, and have respect for all the moving pieces, not just one, one focal direction. Yeah, 100%. It, it has to be about the kids. We've, we've got to focus in on what's best for them. You and I talked about a coach that, that, that we know who actually told a player as well. He was working with a private coach, helped them go as a senior, helped them go from like 82 to 91. Now the kid's recruitable. And he basically told them, you can't use that outside resource anymore. It happens. Yeah. And it's, it's really sad that that happens. But I, once again, <laughs> that's, that kind of thing is going to happen in this world. And you either learn to shrug it off and just not tell the coach what's going on and you do what's best for you because you know that it's going to be a, a toxic situation if you are honest about it or you find a way to bridge the gap and say hey this is something i believe in you can penalize me for it or not i'm still going to go and do the things that i need to do and it's going to happen but yeah it's it's pretty bad when it's pretty bad when someone tells a kid what they can and cannot do to encourage or to progress their own career that's theirs. Like you're either there to help or you're in the way, one or the other. Now, I, I do want to get the, to Javi to add his last words, but I, I, I don't know if you saw Javi's post earlier, but here he is with 10 years of pro experience, working on his PhD, has his master's, and he can't get hired in a high school because he doesn't have enough experience. Uh, Javi, I, I saw that post. I laughed very hard, even though, <laughs> even though I've never been coached by you. I can tell you right now that there are some people that if they had that opportunity at the high school level to get that kind of like 
level of expertise, they would be forever impacted. But I can tell you right now, like my wife is in a very good high school. So I'm like, I'm not pointing at what she sees, but I can tell you there is so much political and just, it's just a cesspool at that point of, it's not about qualifications. It's there's other things going on. So I don't really know why you're not getting that opportunity, but someone would be freaking lucking out incredibly to have a knowledge base like you as a high school coach. Oh, I appreciate that, man. It's laughable at times. Let's put it this way. I, I am Puerto Rican. You know, I'm proud to be a Puerto Rican. All right. So I'm fighting enough as it is already. Are you saying you didn't get hired because you're Puerto Rican? Oh, no. People thought I was a Muslim. That's why they didn't get hired because I was dark skin. People thought I was a Muslim. That's one reason I didn't get hired in one school. So yeah, that's a uh, that's laughable. That's uh, I wrote that one in my history. That's pretty good. Your name is but now Jack. Jack, there you go. <laughs> Jack Cross. But anyway, yeah, the it's it's I mean, and I I'm very sympathetic to my wife's a teacher, and there is a humongous teacher shortage in this country of good, solid teachers that teach all these kids from grade school all the way to high school. So I get that. I get that kids. The teachers, what they want to coach, hey, go get them. That, that's fantastic. Supplement your income. That's fantastic. But whenever you're in there, that you, I hope that the hope is that particular teacher better have some kind of knowledge of the game or is very adamant about others who have that knowledge of the game that they can pick their brains on. And that doesn't happen here. Unfortunately, it's going to happen here in Indiana. And that's, a lot of these kids are, they're hungry to play. They want to win that state championship for their team, be good at, the, at what they do and be proud to be a Spartan or a, a Tiger or a Buffalo Bill, whatever the case may be. It doesn't matter what, what the school mascot is. They don't want to be proud to be part of that program. And whenever they got to go, oh, here we go. We're going to go 0-21 again because we don't even know what we're doing. It is what it is. So I'm... And we, myself, and uh, my buddy, Manny Lopez, who owns the Diamond Baseball Academy where I teach out up here, we've asked, we've approached high schools, hey, team up, do you want to have a, anytime you want to have a conversation about baseball, we're open to it. We just want to talk and educate if there's anything we can do for them. And we've been doing this thing for almost 20 years, and we're still waiting. On, this is our 20th year, I'm still waiting for high school to reach out, which to me is a little sad, but hey. I, once again, I can't really speak from that perspective of I'm, I've never been a high school coach and I would probably never get hired as a high school coach because I would never be in a high school classroom. But I think that from that perspective, and I think that any other high school coach on here that can lend a perspective to it is there's a lot of really good opportunities out there, but there's also so limited time. And it's, I know that there are a lot of bureaucratic loopholes that coaches would have to jump through to bring outside people in. So I can see where that goes, but it's, a, it's a shame when opportunities get squandered, when you can benefit the kids and you just choose not to, that's a problem. Oh, absolutely. And, and I would, I've gone to the interviews and I, I repeatedly and very adamantly tell the ADs and whoever wants to interview me, uh, I tell them. This is not about me living my glory days. I, I've already had my glory days. I've already had my dive. This is not about me or about me winning all these, you know, to prove myself that I'm a winning coach. No, it's about getting these boys to understand life lessons, values of hard work and work ethic. 
some of these kids may not go play college baseball or professional baseball. They're just playing baseball with their friends in high school to prepare them for the next step in life, which is college or trade school and make some money, grow a grow family, and start their cycle all over again. So even when I tell them that, we found somebody who's more experienced. Okay, that's cool. Fantastic. I, I love that you guys are sharing this. I think it's great for even, even the younger student athletes around the call to, to understand the perspective and the challenges that the coaches are, are, are facing as well, both, both high school, private, and college coaches. I, I want to end on one like, super quick question just so we can wrap up for the night. And, and, and we'll do more of these in the next few weeks. But here's the key question. And Coulter, you can't answer our book. But if, if for all these coaches out there and they just need a, a resource to get better, besides TJ, who was on a few, a few minutes ago and all his notes from all the podcasts and stuff that he shares, what is the resource that you would recommend to maybe a younger high school coach who, or, or, or a student athlete who just wants to absorb information and get better? This is going to sound narcissistic, but give me a call. Give Javi a call. Give someone else. I, I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's a quote unquote resource that is better than people that have had success in that realm and, and are trying to push the, for the betterment of, of, of the system and for the kids, like the, like even the book, even our book, it gives a lot of great stuff, but inevitably it, any kid's success or any kid's development, any program is always going to need to provide an individualized, individualized perspective for the, for the kids and, and everything talking about, Hey, how do you give a more individualized approach to this problem or how can I do something that allows for greater autonomy for each of my athletes, like having those conversations, that's, there's a wealth of knowledge and there's a wealth of, of, of experience across the board and just being more open to networking, getting more opinions. Cause if you, if someone that is afraid to get the opinion of other people, that's a very dangerous coach. The thing to ask. Yeah. Uh Oh, Javi, we're, we're struggling to hear you, man. Hear me. Oh, oh, there you are. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. You're good now. Okay. So basically if you did, if anybody decides to give me a call, shoot me a DM, the only thing I'm going to warn you about is be prepared for a long conversation. Because for me, if I get started talking about baseball, I ain't shutting up because there's too much in my own head, in my own dome that I would love to get out. And that's part of my, my duty as a former pro player is to give back to the, to the future of the game. And you know what? I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, I can give you my stuff away for free. I'll do this. No, you got to pay me. You gotta, no, 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 no. It's about giving the private the correct information and the same information I give them, they may not agree with, but. They call culture, same message from a different perspective. You know what? That's cool because everybody understands the, the game a little bit differently, and that's fine. But be prepared to really get a good conversation and be engaged in a conversation about the game because that's what it's mostly all about, mentoring young coaches and basically making sure that the kids get the good information so they can do something with their career. Awesome. We have a couple last minute people who requested to, to speak and ask questions. Colter, are you good with a few more minutes? Uh, yeah, I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> okay, awesome. Javi, I hope, I hope you're good as well. Let's, uh, let's, shoot. Let's, let's start with Wes. Oh, what? Wes just went down. We'll start with, with 
D-Stag. <clears throat> can you guys hear me? We can. Yes, sir. Okay. You asked for a resource. Jack Dunn, one of the winningest coaches in, in collegiate baseball history, has got a great resource book. It's called From the Third Base Coaches Box. Look it up. It's great for new coaches. He goes through an insane amount of stuff, even setting up practices, how to develop practices, what to run in practices. It's a very thick book. I think I've probably bought five copies for new coaches over my over the course of my long 60 years old here. I had a signed copy that I gave to a friend. <laughs> Jack actually said, gave me a signed copy. And <clears throat> he kept it because <laughs> so, he liked it so much, which was fine. But if you ask for a resource, at, for, especially for new coaches seeking ways to do things from a fairly unopinionated direction, it's really straightforward. There's things that he did as a coach that I probably wouldn't do in a game and did, that, that, that Javi wouldn't do in a game, that, that Colton wouldn't do in a game. But across the board, it's a very good resource book for high school coaches and, and, and even younger than that, 13 you and up travel guys on how to run practices and what to do. Other than that, that's my only thing other than Coulter, I'm going to call BS on your sorry freshman and, and, and sophomore JV players. You don't get any reps. Oh, I, I didn't say that. I don't get rest. <laughs> a lot of times when they won't. But that's that. But that's the problem with the program. Okay, so that's why. With what? I was a high school coach, California. Coached with uh, a college program in California for their youth organization. Was under the NCAA rules. All the players were there, the fifty miles. Blah 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 blah. And it, it, we, our entire coaching staff. At both high schools that I coached at, were all from outside source. When none of us were teachers, I'm not a teacher. I'm a software company. Okay, I two engineering degrees. I do not teach, but I love baseball. Been around baseball my entire life. None of the people that we that were on our staff were teachers at all, and we made it a point to make sure, <clears throat> even though. Freshmen and sophomore, freshman and JV teams were sharing a single field while varsity had their own field. We made sure that we worked with our freshman coach, coaches on one, coach on another. We had three on three JV coaches on one, four on another. We would put the two teams together, the freshman and JV, so that we got made sure they got field time. And we, we looked at it as that's our farm club. There's going to be, by the time you hit varsity, there's going to be kids who started as freshmen and went to JV and make the varsity club as their as a junior or a senior, and they contribute as a junior and a senior. I mean, you got plenty of examples of that. I'm really glad you said that. I've never been a high school coach. That's that was not my reference. I I think that it's so important for this to be noticed that there are. When you're talking about a lot of, like a lot of high schools have the mandates nowadays where you can't cut kids, especially like early on. And that's where a lot of kids get left behind. You're 100% right. 
you got to find a way to because those ki- those freshmen, even your even the non developed and the younger kids, they're going to eventually be juniors and seniors. So no, that definitely happens. But I I really appreciate the fact that what you're saying, like there's not a lot of coaches that take the time to actually do that, especially with the volume that they have nowadays. And see, and it's because I've as a high school coach, my son at seven was out catching fly balls right, with with juniors and seniors, but I've never managed or coached my kid. I've never been a travel ball guy that he was where I was managing him. I'd had people, other coaches would say, Hey, could you assist? And I'm like, I'll assist in practice. I will not be on the bench. I don't want to do that. Blah, blah, blah. So now I'm sabbatical because my son is in high school and that post that was put up really hit a chord with me because I come from a coaching perspective and I know what we ran, how we worked our kids. We double cut drills. We, I, I, I was close enough to Cal state Fullerton and I got to know the guys there. And that's actually the, where I, I coach with Chad and I would go down during their five weeks of fall practice, the five weeks Den NCAA would give division one stuff. And I would go down, it was an open, it was open practice. And I would go sit and watch and talk to the coaches and, and hey, what are you doing there? Why are you doing that? What's, what, hey, what is that? And we took that stuff back to the high school. And now my son in high school, we had a 22 year old coach last year as a freshman who, if he said three words to any player, I, I, I'd, I'd be amazed. Practice was go hit in the cages, guys. And then they came back and they did infield, outfield. Infield, outfield. And I'm sorry if I'm going to step on toes here. If you're a coach and you're doing infield, outfield for your practice, it's lazy. It's an absolutely lazy way to run a practice. Stop it. That's not developing anybody. The left fielder gets two ground balls and a pop fly. Okay, that's no. Find another coach, bring on somebody else, get somebody. There's plenty of guys that. I did it for free. I re- I took my stipends back into the program. I said, go buy baseballs, go hire a third coach. I don't give a care what it is. There's plenty of us old guys that would put that ton of time in. And now I'm watching and my son comes out of practice. Hey, what'd you do today? Two ball, two ball. Great. Okay. So you saw two pitches from a machine that you either had to put in play because if you fouled it off twice, it's a strikeout. Okay, great. That's great batting practice. Okay. And what places did you play first? Did you get anything? No, no ground balls there, but I got three throws. Okay. What else did you play? Uh, I ran out to right field. Okay. Any, anything hit to you? A single through to second base. I threw the ball into second. Just one. Just, yeah, I only got one. Where else you play? I moved myself over to, to left field. You moved yourself over. Yeah. We just pick wherever we want to play. That's a lot of what's going on out there, guys. Okay, it's a lot of what's going on out there at the freshman and JV level. And what he said, I coach with NorCal, okay, a pretty well-known travel organization out of Northern California. Well, and we see it. We see enough of it where you, you're like, we see a lot of the better kids, but you see this where they're, did you guys work on, how, you, you know, hey, second baseman, why do you not know that's, you're supposed to be double cutting right now. The ball got past the outfield. What, what's a double cut? I saw that like the same thing you're saying right now, 
we saw it all year at the college level at a, at a good division one, like big name program. We still have that same thing. Kids are not being educated as to understanding the game because exactly. they're not being taught by right. what's happening. They're not understanding it. They're in a showcase mentality. And all they do is, hey, you've got 10 pit pitches to throw to the radar gun or whatever. And we're going to push your metrics or we're going to do all this stuff. Like we're not playing the game. We're not testing your baseball IQ. And a lot of the kids today don't watch baseball. There's a lot of kids that are not sitting there watching this college world series or right. tuning in and watching a major league game. And I don't care how much people want to bitch and moan about the, like the opinions of the, like of the announcers in major league. Th these guys are talking about the game and it's important right. to listen and talk about the game. Otherwise you're stuck in whatever level of skill that you have. You're not going to understand when a situation comes up. You've never thought about it. It's never crossed your mind. I'll tell you, I grew up in a, in an era, I'm 60. <clears throat> so I grew up in an era where there was one game broadcast a week. Uh, now I was lucky enough. My aunts were the longest season ticket holders in pirate history. So I got to go to a lot of games, but we used to listen to the game on the radio and you know, King would be, he'd be saying, oh, the runner's about to go. Hey, three, two, two outs, blah, 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 count. And they, because they knew the game because they were trying to describe the game. And in that description of the game and where the player was going and what he was doing and why he was doing it, they were already giving you a pre-thought of what that player should be thinking. And you and your 18 seconds between pitches, that's why anybody that says baseball is a boring game, they don't, don't realize how fast it really is to a player. You got 18 seconds to think, okay, I got a runner on second. I'm the right fielder. If the ball's hit to me, where am I going? What, how many outs are there? What's the, what's the speed of the guy? What's the, and I got to do that in, in a, in a 15 second pitch clock now. Right. And that's not being taught because I, I tell you, my son's a pretty damn good pitcher and he had four bullpens. He got injured early, be rolled an ankle for right the day before our first game of the season. But after he came back, he had four bullpens to get ready. Do you know there wasn't a single coach in his bullpen? That, that, it's it's travesty. But that's that's why when this guy <clears throat> came on with that, we were thinking after this season and after what happened, we said, <laughs> now we got him in a really good program, travel program. He's with a college now, but it, it's still... We looked at it and said, do we move him? No, I don't want to move him. I don't want to move him for baseball because he's got friends at this school. He's doing academically well at this school. This is a great school, blah, blah, blah. We will, we'll enhance his baseball someplace else. And if that means that he doesn't play high school baseball next spring, fine. We will play all summer and all winter and our spring will be our time off to recoup, recover, rebuild. And there's a lot of parents. I'm talking to parents at on the clubs that he's now on. And we were, Hey, Oh, by the way, how's that program? They said, Oh my God, Bars JV and freshman, the coach didn't know what he was doing. We did ah, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh wait. And then, and all of the parents started hearing this. And I'm telling you out of 16 kids on the team, 12 of the parents all joined in that conversation with the exact same comments. This guy, the guy that put this out is not far off. Now, He's preaching it to get people to come to him and pay him. 
it's a business. Everybody knows that youth baseball is a business that is. We're not going to get it changed. It's not going to change now. It's a billion-dollar business. That, that, that elephant is rolling fast, okay? We're not stopping that rhinoceros. He's wrong. But it needs to be enhanced, and people need to know what's going on because we're in a, we're in a really good program in, this, in, in Arizona. What state, top program, won the division, you're 17 and four. It, you would look at that and say, oh, they got a good program down the line. And I'll tell you, we had a first-year coach last year as a freshman coach who was more friends with the players than he ever was a coach, didn't coach a thing. And now we have we had a sophomore, a JV coach who didn't know our kids' last name. Didn't know our kids' last names. Honest, gave out JV awards, did not know kids' last names at the baseball banquet. So this guy's on target. And I've had, I'm sorry for taking up so much time and I'll jump here, but you could, and, and I know the other side because I think I was the other side. Josie LaChase and myself, we ran, a, I think, a pretty damn good program in Southern California at a high school. We got our, our freshman reps. We got our JV reps. We actually talked to the, the varsity coach and said, hey, every other week, we want our JV players coming down and participating in the varsity practice. And they agreed to that so they could see because at every level, the freshman level, to the JV level, to the varsity level, then on the college level, when everybody says the game gets faster, the game does get faster. And the only way to get better and get there is to see that faster gameplay. So we worked to make sure that we got our youth players, our, our non-varsity players time. So I hate, I'm sorry for saying, hey, what your comment was was BS, but it, it should, if it's not BS, it should be BS. You should be giving your freshman and your JV players a ton of reps, if if nothing else. I can thank you guys for your time. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, as I was listening to that, I, I wish there was like a shock emoji for the reaction, even though we shouldn't be shocked. It, it it's scary it, and it's sad. I I had a kid come to me. He told me how in the first practice with his travel team, he learned more than he did the whole year with his coach. And if you look at the powerhouse programs, the the ones who keep putting out great players and you know, they're going to regionals and states every year those are the ones who get their freshmen involved because as you said that's the farm system i i just got <laughs> it inevitably it comes down to what the priorities of the school are sometimes the head coach doesn't always have the ability to control that and there's not always the support for the team to to incorporate as many coaches and as quality of coaches as they need to i just got a text message from my friend that outlined that and it is what it is. Inevitably, I, I I go back to my my original statement. If you're not getting something you need and want, you need to go out and find it for yourself. And if anyone's gonna get upset at you for doing so, they are not in your corner. They're not there to support you in, in your career. They're in it for themselves and you can just spit on on their opinion. But if you're not if you're not getting the reps in high school, yeah, it's important to go somewhere else. But if you're if you're the travel ball coach or you're the select coach that is is griping about the situation and whatnot, and you're not trying to help solve the situation, so it's a betterment for the kids. If it's only a if it's only a benefit to you, and then the kid, that's the wrong that's the wrong way to look at it. I don't know the individual that made that video, but I'm not a big proponent of someone putting themselves on video and putting it on TikTok or Instagram. Because then it usually comes down to, am I getting enough likes or 
are people responding to what I'm saying rather than maybe going and having a conversation with the coaches in question or the programs in question and saying, hey, how do we come to a middle ground where we can help the kids? I think we can definitely go into a whole other conversation about that. We'd be here all night on that one. But we're just going to leave it there. I think the, the best way to wrap it up is for all the student athletes out there and, and even for the coaches, it's your career and you've got to find people who are happy to help you and support you and believe in you. And you've got to do what's best for you. Exactly. Gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for uh, participating tonight. We'll do more of these. Thank you everyone for listening. The recording will be on Twitter for, for a little while. So you'll be able to share that with people who couldn't make it tonight. And as well as we'll, we'll get it on the podcast so uh, people can hear it indefinitely. All right. Yeah, appreciate thank you it so much. Have a great night, everybody. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Also, please consider following us at Baseball Mentors and picking up a copy of our book, Play Ball Kit. We wish you the best of luck in your baseball journey. Thank you.